0: Thanks for checking out this message from Coastal Community Church. We hope it's helpful and encouraging. Good morning and welcome to Coastal Community Church. Good morning to you guys that are watching us online. As always, thank you for tuning in and being a part of today's service. And welcome uh, to all of you guys. I know what some of you are thinking today, Pastor Chris, you're wearing orange, supporting our Bengals. Well, the truth of the matter is, it was in the closet, it's clean, it was ironed, and I own way way too much orange and purple for any one human being. So I don't know if I'm pulling for the Bengals or not, but uh, anyway, we're gonna have fun tonight, uh, Super Bowl party uh, here at the church at six o'clock. But uh, wow, what a great day, good to see everybody. We have a great, great worship team, do we not? We really do, we have a a great worship team, Um, yeah. And uh, in fact, we are hosting a, um, a night of worship and praise, uh, Friday night, March the 18th, uh, 7 p.m. here at the building. Uh, we would love for you to be a part of that. And uh, childcare is provided uh, from ages birth uh, to kindergarten, and uh, you can RSVP on your connect card we'd love to love for you to be a part of that um, we're, we're going to begin a series leading up to Easter called at the cross and so that'll kind of be the theme uh, for a night of worship if you were at our previous night of worship uh, you know what a blessing it was so we want you to come and be a part of it now I'm going to read a poem and I want to see if you can recognize it here it goes Out of the night that covers me, black as the pit from pole to pole, I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. In the fell clutch of circumstance, I have not winced or cried aloud. Under the bludgeoning of chance, my head is bloodied but unbowed. Beyond this place of wrath and tears looms but the horror of the shade, and yet the menace of the years finds and shall find Me, unafraid. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. Anybody recognize that poem? It's called Invictus uh, by William uh, Henley. And uh, Invictus is the Latin word for uh, for unconquered. And That's really what this poem is all about. Um, in fact, it's been widely used over the last hundred years or so um, as an expression of, you know, personal independence, a declaration that no matter what the circumstances are, you know, you refuse to bend. Um, it was quoted most famously, um, infamously, I guess, by Timothy McVeigh uh, as his last statement before being executed uh, for the Oklahoma City bombing. Um, you know, again, it's that promise to, you know, stand unafraid, not gonna whimper, cry, or submit, you know, a, a kind of a defiant declaration to anybody who will listen, that even though you might not be able to, you know, control the circumstances or events surrounding you, that you alone are in control. You know, you are the master of your fate, you are the captain of your soul. Now, in many ways, I think that kind of reveals the age-old struggle that everybody faces, everybody in this room, everybody online, Um, and, and it's this, who is going to call the shots in my life, okay? Ultimately, who is going to rule my life? Now to to think about that just for a second, I wanna ask you a question. Raise your hand. How many of you, you know, would consider yourself to be more of a a dog person? You're a dog owner, dog lover. You would be more of a dog person. Okay, very good. Now, put your hands down. Okay, let's see how many cat lovers we have in the room. You're more of a, a, you can admit it. Raise your hand, okay? (laughs) Cat lovers, cat people. Okay, so in his book, it's kind of an interesting little book, Cat and Dog Theology, Bob Shrogan uh, describes the very different attitudes between cats and dogs using the following illustration. This is what he says. A dog says, you pet me, you feed me, you shelter me, and you love me. You must be God. A cat says, you pet me, you feed me, you shelter me, and you love me, I must be God. (laughs) Okay, I I think he's on to something. Now, um, obviously he's being funny, you know, but in the book he kind of uses that as a comparison to kind of illustrate the way people often approach God and who is going to call the shots in their life. Now again, both you know cats and dogs understand obedience. Dogs, though, want to obey God and please their master. Cats want God and everybody else to obey them, right? Which leads to the obvious conclusion: um, cats are evil. So there you go. <laughs> no, just joking. I will get more emails and comments on the Connect Guard about that than I did last week. So um, anyway, I like cats. I grew up with cats. I'm just allergic. So anyway. Um, So today, here's what's going to happen. I want to challenge you in your own life to answer that same question. Who's going to call the shots? Ultimately, who are you striving to please? And we're gonna do that by looking at another name by which God has revealed himself in the Bible to us personally. Um, It's the name Adonai, Adonai. Um, It's used over 300 times in the Old Testament. And if you're taking notes, it means this. It means Lord of all, master, CEO. In other words, he is the ruler, the owner of everything. He knows all, sees all. He is sovereign over all. Now, the name Adonai first appears in Genesis chapter 15, kind of in the middle of a story. In fact, verse one starts off after this. So after what? Well, if you back up a little bit, uh, back to chapter 12, God has told a man by the name of Abram uh, to leave his homeland, leave everything he had ever known, and just go to a land that he's gonna show him and that he's gonna give him. And so that's exactly what Abram does, he uproots everybody, everything, and he leaves. And in the years that follow, God reveals himself in a lot of different ways and blesses him in many, many ways. And then uh, right before this, we learn that his nephew Lot uh, had been taken captive in a raid on the city of Sodom. And so Abram gathers together you know, the servants and he defeats these combined armies of these four city-states and he rescues Lot, he rescues the other captives, and he recovers all their possessions. So all that's taken place. So after all that stuff, we arrive on the scene in Genesis chapter 15, and here, it's here that as God talks to Abram, that we discover this new name for God, the name Adonai. And in fact, it kind of, it, it, it almost slips in without our notice, especially in, the, in our English translations, but it's an incredibly significant name if we're going to understand our relationship with God, Okay? So follow along as I read. Let's look at verses one and two. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. And then verse two. But Abram said, sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? Now, the word sovereign there in verse 2 is actually the word Adonai, sovereign Lord. And so that's how Abram addresses God. But, But it's interesting, he acknowledges him as sovereign Lord with his lips, but in his heart, he's struggling. He's struggling with doubt. I mean, he knows and he's experienced that, you know, that God, yes, is in control, but still he questions him because he and Sarah are childless. But God has promised, God has promised a son, but at this point, all he has is a servant. And he and Sarah, you know, they're not getting any younger. And so basically he's like, God, okay, I know you're sovereign, I know you've got this, but how many of you can relate to that? God, I, I, I know in my, my mind that you're in control. I know you're overall. but. You know, there, there's a big, big difference, right, between saying that we believe God is in control and actually trusting him. Right? It's a big, big difference. And that's where Abraham was. And so, in order to kind of expand his understanding a little bit, God takes him outside, and he tells him to look up into the heavens. And he tells him to try to count the stars. Why? Why did he do that? Because he he wanted Abraham to get a glimpse of just... How majestic and awesome God truly is, and so in in pointing to the stars, God is declaring you know his authority over the heavens, over the earth, over everything, you know that we, we can't even count them, and yet God knows each one of them individually. He spoke them into existence. He directs their every movement as they travel through space. Psalm 8 places all of them, along with every other thing he created, under his authority. Listen to this, Psalm 8. O Lord, our Lord, our Adonai. How majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. And When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place. Now again, here's, here's where it goes. Listen to this. What is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings, that you care for them. That's what he was doing with Abraham. I love this. That God, that the God who is great enough to have made everything the heavens and the earth, that he can take notice of you and me. But he goes way beyond just taking notice. He loves you. He absolutely loves you and he he cares for you. You see, God's greatness does not mean remoteness. But rather, it's a It's an attention to every detail of your life, no matter how small. And so I think that's what's going on here between Adonai and Abram underneath the stars that night. It's almost as if God was saying, hey, Abe, I want you to look up. Look up. I did that. I placed the stars in the heavens. Do you think that your childlessness is an insurmountable problem to me. Hey, look up. Do you think your financial struggle is insurmountable to the God of the universe? Hey, look up. Do you think that that problem you're having at work is an insurmountable struggle to the God who created everything? And so as Abraham stood there looking up at the stars, God speaks to him and said, hey, so shall your offspring be. Now, of course, living on this side of the cross, we know that the greatest of those descendants would become the bright and morning star, Jesus. Now, look at verse 6. Being reminded of the greatness of God, the Bible tells us, listen to this, Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. Now, you gotta know this. This is the very first time that the word believe is used in the Bible. It's also the very first time that righteousness is used in the Bible. And so you put them together and you have this expression in the Bible, this beautiful expression of the truth that we are saved by grace through faith. It's kind of a picture of the gospel. In fact, it's so significant that this verse gets re-quoted four different times in the New Testament. In fact, when Paul lays out the doctrine of salvation in the book of Romans, making it crystal clear that we have been saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. He uses this passage and he uses Abraham as exhibit A. Romans 4, 3, what does Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, notice that the Bible is very careful to say that Abraham believed God. Abraham believed the Lord. Not merely that he believed in God, okay? But that he actually believed God. He believed what God said. He trusted him. Listen, there's an awful lot of people today who claim to believe in God, but they don't all believe him. They don't trust him. There's a difference. And the difference, it's the difference between being saved and being lost. It's the difference between knowing about God and then truly knowing him. So what was it that Abraham believed? Great question. Well, Paul goes on to tell us here in Romans 4, listen to this. He, Abraham, is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed. The God who gives life to the dead and calls into being the things that were not. That's what Abraham believed. Against all hope, Abraham, in hope, believed, so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. Against all hope, Abraham believed. Believed what? It says, verse 21, being fully persuaded Some of your translations might say, fully assured, being absolutely convinced that God had power to do what he promised. Now, sure, he's talking about the promise of Isaac, right? His son to be born. But it goes way beyond that. Abraham was acknowledging that you know, despite under, you know, despite himself being, you know, the master of, you know, a lot of things and a lot of people, that he was serving the great master, the greatest, a God who gives life to the dead, a God who calls things that are not as though they were, a God whose power always matches his, matches his promises a God who is the sovereign Lord Adonai over all. And Abraham's our father in the sense that he's the first. And just a long line of people who would come after that place their genuine faith in the Lord. You know, if you look through the Old Testament, anyone who ever did anything great for God had to first learn this lesson. They had to learn to submit their lives to the Lord Adonai. They had to acknowledge that God alone is the Lord. And we've got to learn that same lesson. I mean, you read through the Bible, you know, Moses, Joseph, David, uh, Sarah, Gideon, Daniel, Ruth, all of them. They all had to come to terms with this, that, that God owns everything that he is large, that he is in charge. And as such, they had to trust him. They had to trust him and obey him. In fact, listen to this. You cannot call him Lord if you're unwilling to live a life of submission. You can't call him Lord unless you're willing to live a life of submission. Listen, Jesus actually said that. In Luke 6, 46, he said, why? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? The, the meaning of, of Adonai as, as sovereign Lord, it gets carried all through the Bible into the New Testament, and it's used of Jesus, listen to this, over 700 times. Verses like Acts two thirty six. therefore let all Israel be assured of this, God has made this Jesus, Whom you crucified, both what? Lord and Messiah. Philippians 2, 9 through 11. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is what? Lord to the glory of God the Father. Revelation 17, 14. They will wage war against the, Lord, uh, against the Lamb, but the Lamb will triumph over them because He is what? Say it with me, church. He is what? Lord of lords and King of kings. And with Him will be His called, chosen, and faithful followers. Guys, it reads that way all the way through the New Testament. And so... In the same way that Abraham had to learn that God is Lord, so do we. We all have to come to that point where we acknowledge that God really is the Lord of all that we are, all that we have, and all that we do. He calls the shots. Psalm 24-1 sums it up about as clear as can be stated. Listen to this. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. That means that he alone has the right to rule over all creation, and that includes me, and that includes you. And again, you see this being carried over into the New Testament where it gets very specifically applied to Jesus. Look at Romans chapter 14. Verses seven through nine. For none of us lives for ourselves alone. And none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead the dead and the living. Wow. So what are the practical implications of that? You know, for you, for me. Great question. I think we ought to let Jesus answer that. Let's let Jesus answer it for himself. In fact, follow along as I read from Matthew chapter 7. Let's begin in verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? In your name did we not drive out demons in your name? Did we not perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Now, a little bit of context here. Jesus is coming to the end of his most famous sermon, right? The Sermon on the Mount. And he concludes it with some teaching on lordship. And he begins this little section with a rather startling remark. I mean, think about it. He says, hey, not everybody who comes to me and says, Lord, Lord, Adonai will enter the kingdom of heaven. Wow. Wow. Whoa, 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 whoa. Wait, wait, wait a minute here. What's he saying? Now, evidently, the people in question, you know, had a little bit of Jesus mixed in, you know, with everything else in their life because, you know, they do address him as Lord. In fact, it's entirely possible that many of these people, you know, were fine, upstanding, church going people. You know, they'd heard all the sermons, they knew all the stories that called for for humble surrender and obedience. But, you know, that didn't really fit into their busy schedule and comfortable lifestyle. And so on that day, that final day, Jesus said, there are gonna be people running up to the throne calling out to me, hey, whoa, 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 whoa. Jesus Lord Jesus Here I am What about me And Jesus will say to some I will tell them plainly I never knew you Away from me you evil doers So what do we do with that Somebody wrote You call me lot you call me light And see me not. You call me way and follow me not. You call me life and desire me not. You call me wise and acknowledge me not. You call me fair and love me not. You call me rich and ask me not. You call me eternal and seek me not. You call me gracious and trust me not. You call me noble and serve me not. You call me mighty and honor me not. You call me just and fear me not. You call me master and obey me not. If I condemn you, blame me not. You know, just claiming to be a follower of Jesus doesn't make you one. Even, you know, having some of the outward trappings of being one doesn't necessarily mean that your relationship with Him is real. So, what does? Well, you look back at verse 21, it's not the one who simply claims to know him, but he says here, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So one of the tests in determining whether or not we're following Adonai is submission to God's authority in our lives. In fact, in John 8, 31, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, If you hold to my teaching, you really are my disciples. In other words, you know, we don't don't know Jesus as Savior unless we also know him as Lord. That's what Hebrews 5, 9 explains. And once made perfect, he, Jesus, listen to this, became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. Now, I think we do have to be very careful here, okay? We're talking about the, the fruit of our salvation not the root. Okay, let me explain. We're talking about the fruit of salvation, not the root. Our salvation is not earned, you know, through obedience. But it is revealed. It's not earned through obedience, but it is revealed. Just like Abraham, when we believed God and we trusted in Christ, our account was credited with his righteousness the righteousness of Christ, the goodness of Christ. It was put in our account. Saving faith. Saving faith is kind of like calories. Okay, calories. You can't really see them, but you can always see the results, okay? Now, in this case, the result is a life lived on the foundation of the word and will of God. It's the fruit of the Spirit being revealed in our life. You know, in fact, if you go back to Matthew 7, you know, again, right after he got finished saying that, notice then that he goes into talking about two different kinds of builders. We're going to call them Bob 1 and Bob 2, okay, for Bob the builder. Verses 24 through 27. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man, okay, Bob 1 crash. Now, before we look at the difference between Bob 1 and Bob 2, I want you to notice some of the similarities. Apparently, they both worked really hard, right? There's no indication that Bob 1 worked any harder than Bob 2 or that he completed the work any faster. At the end of the project, both of the builders had a nice house as a result of all their hard work. Added to that, both builders had done some things right. I mean, neither of these houses collapsed initially. You know, so apparently, you know, both these guys, you know, by all external appearances, both of the houses, you know, look good. You know, they're licensed builders, workmanship was good, looked like good, solid homes. In fact, there's no indication in the text that the overall quality of Bob 1's house was any better than that of Bob 2. No. The only real difference between these two builders, the houses that they built, was on the foundation that they laid upon, that they built upon. You know, Bob 1 built his house on the rock. Bob 2 built his house on sand. That's the only difference. You're like, okay, Pastor Chris, so what constitutes rock and what constitutes sand? Great question. What did Jesus say? Look back at the text. Bob, heard the word, Bob 1 heard the words of Jesus and did what? put them into practice. Bob, too, also heard the words of Jesus, but he didn't put them into practice. Again, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? So what about you? Who calls the shots in your life? have you truly bowed the knee to Jesus? Listen, there's no middle ground here. I mean, there's none. Jesus is either master of all or he's not master at all. So I I wanna close just by letting you think through this question. Is there an area of your life that you are withholding from the Lordship of Jesus. Your relationships, your family, the way you raise your kids, the way you do your family, your marriage, your single, your dating relationships. You submitted that to the Lordship of Jesus? Your time, your calendar, your money, You submitted that to the lordship of Christ? Your resources, your home, your car, your stuff, your service. What about this one? Have you gotten baptized? Jesus did it. In fact, he commanded it. If he's the lord of all, why have you said no? Now, I recognize that, you know, sometimes as believers, you know, we, we go all in, and then over time, sometimes we, we take something back. And so maybe today, I just want you to examine, you know, your own life, your own walk with God, and what area have you possibly withheld? And maybe, just maybe, you're here today and you've never yet submitted your whole life to Christ. You know, there's there's not an inch of your life where Jesus doesn't say, mine. He is the Lord of all and everything I have belongs to him. Have you surrendered your life completely to him? You know, if if you're ready to do that today, I want to invite you to do it right now. Bow your heads with me, please. Bow your heads. And let, let's, let's pray together. In fact, with your heads bowed, I want to I ask you to do something else right now. Would you just right now take your hands and just form a tight fist. Just form a fist in, in one hand, in both hands. And if you are ready to give him everything, Will you now slowly open your fists to indicate that you are surrendering before him right now and that you're going to serve him with all that you've got, with all that you are. Let's pray right now to Adonai. Dear Heavenly Father, Psalm 16.2 says, you are... My Lord, and apart from you, I have no good thing. God, that's the, uh, that's the confession of our hearts today. You are Lord, and we are not. You are the owner of everything, and we are but the managers of what you've given to us. You are sovereign, and we are your servants. We are your possession, therefore we live in submission. Do with us what you may and what you must in order to make all of us more and more like your son Jesus. That we might serve you more fully this day and every day. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. From Pastor Chris and the family at Coastal Community Church, have a blessed day.